standard issue for all women. Hi, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. It may have escaped you notice that we are now in November and what November the 1st means at standard issue, other than it's when I panic tax my car, is that we start talking to some men. Remember when Mickey and I went to get a hug off Patterson Joseph? That seems like a long time ago now. And so every Sunday this month we'll be talking to some blokes, chaps, fellas, geezers, whatever it is you call them. Next week I'll be chatting to actor and man of many other talents, Matt Fraser, about Cryptales, a new anthology series he's curated for the BBC. The first episode, which stars Matt himself, is on BBC Four at 10pm tomorrow night. That's Monday the 2nd of November. So if you want to watch it in advance, there's a bit of what I'm going to call good homework for you. And then later this month, Mickey will be talking to comedian Richard Herring about his new book, The Problem With Men, when is International Men's Day and why it matters. Plus, she's going to be finding out more about the Good Lad Initiative, a gender equality charity working to tackle the root causes of inequality and to promote positive masculinity. Jen's going to the room next door to meet Michael Spicer and we all have some other exciting irons in the fire. Who knows whether they will pan out, but it's not going to stop me from checking my email every five minutes. And last, but very much not least, and in terms of release date, it's also not last, but let's just cut to what I'm actually saying, which is that we will also have a new Zoomcast where Mickey and I will be chatting to Lawrence Ricard and Deliso Chapondra. Hooray! But first, this week's chops, which is what happened when I talked to Andrew Cotter, who started 2020 as a sports commentator who owned two very good dogs and is now Andrew Cotter, sports commentator, writer, renowned wit and owner of Olive and Mabel, internet stars. We had a cracking chat, so you should absolutely make yourself a cup of tea and listen. I'll be just here checking my emails. Until next week. Hi, I'm joined by Andrew Cotter, owner of the internet's most famous dogs, Olive and Mabel, and author of excellent new book, Olive, Mabel and Me. Welcome to Standard Issue, Andrew. Hello. I was I was wondering, are they the most famous dogs on the internet? I was trying to th- I was thinking the other day, who are the more, more famous dogs? I think there are various internet sensations in the dog world, like dogs jumping into piles of leaves and things like that. And uh, there must have been a few others, dogs that have been on Britain's Got Talent or something. But um, they're certainly top, top 30. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, having read your book, I'm aware that you've received a, a request for an interview from almost every media organisation on the planet. So thank you for saying yes to this one. Welcome. And the second thing that I have to say is I absolutely love this book. Oh, do you? Are you saying that? Are you saying that? As in, I'm because saying I'm that. Or are you saying that because, well, I tell you what, I love this book. And then um, you don't actually mean it. That's, see, that's, no, I, isn't that terrible, I, Hannah, that that's my natural reaction to the cynical, <laughs> sceptical way of looking at the world? Well, it's very nice. I'm going to take that as you, as you mean it. Yeah. See, that's very kind of you. Yeah, you went a bit Donald Trump there. Fake news. Oh no, I no. It's just because I <laughs> no. It's not. It's not that. Oh my God! Please don't compare me with um, the Donald. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, interview over. No, exactly. Uh, no, no. The reason I say things like that is because I'm Scottish and slightly. We don't do we don't do praise at all. So we don't receive it well. We don't give it well. We just we live in a world free of of praise. So if somebody does say something nice, and you know, recently there have been some nice things said about the book. I just got rather 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 some motley impression. I agree with you. I'm much like that. I'm mm. like, don't say nice things to me. It's embarrassing for all concerned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to say more nice stuff because I write for a living 
And yeah, I am still making an absolute song and dance out of writing a book. And yet you seem to have made it look quite easy. Was it as easy as um, it looks? No, 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 I, it wasn't. But I don't, I've got nothing to compare it to, I suppose. That's the thing, because, you know, you write as a sports broadcaster. I mean, I write a couple of uh, magazine columns, maybe, or here and there, and some newspaper articles once in a blue moon. But writing a, a book was something entirely different. So I think when you're given a deadline, um, you just have to get on with it. And then when you're writing about something, I think once I'd got past the initial stumbling block of thinking, what is what is this book actually about and that's what people have asked me said well I can understand how the videos were a big success but how does that translate into a book and you can't directly translate the humor so what you have to do is just try and um, think of a different type of humor observational humor about owning dogs etc whatever it is and then once I worked out the structure of the book and that you're actually just writing about life because dogs if you own dogs or no dogs they are everywhere with you and through every aspect of life then you realise you're writing about life, so you just um, you just do that. Once I worked that out, then it was okay. I think you've really sort of tapped into that thing that we do with our pets, which is we love them unconditionally, but also we rip the Mickey out of them the oh, yeah. whole time. <laughs> like, look at this beautiful idiot. Yeah. That you know that that idea of look. That's what they Joan, are. Yeah. When Joan chews her way through the side of a box of food to get to it, I'm like, you are so annoying, and yet. If you didn't do this, I don't know that I'd like you as much no, as I do. And I like the way that you've got a, a, a perceived human name for your, your cat as well. Joan is a cat, yes? Yeah, Joan is a cat. I have two. They're called, like, like Oliver Mabel, they have old lady names. They're called Peggy and Joan. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's tremendous. Uh, so we humiliate them a little bit with those names as well. They probably yeah, exactly think, that. Joan, Joan, stop, stop eating the box, Joan. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, they are, they're lovable idiots, dogs in particular, cats aren't so much lovable idiots because I think they're they're quite clever or at least they they say that they are but they lie about a lot of stuff cats so um dogs are are largely except for the really intelligent ones at border collies they are lovable idiots and you can look at them and go you are a moron and you say it with all the affection (laughs) in the world and they look back up at you just wagging their tail doing nothing to disabuse you of the notion that they are a moron you know we need that we need silliness especially at the moment everything's crap isn't it it's just so we need we need just some some innocent silliness that dogs provide just hopeless gormless wagging of tails and lolling of tongues (laughs) and just looking at you and loving you so that's that's what we need just now my uncle used to have a pub and he had a huge um i can't remember what they're called the dulux dogs no old english sheepdogs Old English Sheepdog. It was enormous. Mm. And they had to replace their back door because their back door initially was all glass and he just kept trying to walk through yeah, it. Okay. Like time and time again, just smashing into the back but door. It, yeah, but in in his in his defence, as an old English Sheepdog, he might actually not have seen, bearing in mind that it had fringes which come straight yeah. down. So he's just walking through. So it's nothing to do with stupidity. It's just I genuinely couldn't see it. I'm so, so sorry. But, yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're big dogs, the old English Sheepdogs. Yeah, massive. Yeah. In fact, actually, most of my family has dogs. I would love one, but I live in a flat and I work weird hours mm. and it's just never, there's never been a good time. No. I always think maybe retirement will be my time. Yeah, and that's it. Cats, you can just, you can, they, they're pretty self-sufficient. I mean, actually, you yeah. know, if they, they go out to work in the morning and they come back and they settle <laughs> down there, they do what they want to do. As long as, the only thing, the reason I don't have a cat is because... I would be worried about cats and the fact that you, people say, well, you just have a cat flap and they go out and they, yeah, but they go out and they wander onto a road. So they yeah. profess to be intelligent. They're not that intelligent. They'll get run over and it's just very, very sad. So I'd just be worrying about them all the time. 
Well, they're not happy at the moment because we're into the two-week period that seems to be fireworks night now because it stretches well, out. From, I, mean, I mean, listen, when I was young, I liked fireworks and all their glorious whiz-bang, colourful noises as much as anybody else. But what? Oh, it just goes on for now. It goes on for yeah. weeks. Just people, fireworks. Just come on now. But that's, that's me showing my massive killjoy side. But uh, I don't think it should be allowed for, for the length of no, time they're allowed. I agree. I agree. Now, you went on about my cats having a job there. Mm. Obviously, they contribute nothing. 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 You actually you actually thank uh, Oliver Mabel for contributing both everything and nothing to your book. Yeah. Which probably never a truer word because pet, that's what pets do. They give us everything and nothing at the yeah. same time. I mean, 2020 was the year to own a pet, really, wasn't it? And lots, lots of people have taken on dogs during this time. And, and I can understand it because uh, people have realised the value of dogs the value of pets during all this because you know i was wondering about this um the other day you know if, if a sort of alien stopped by on the way to wherever they're going stopped in a death um first of all they'd say well what what are you doing here you're messing this up but also yeah. they would um then say what is this thing you call pet what because i was thinking what, why do we have pets and we try and explain to them well they just sort of wander around and they don't really do much at all but then they do everything because they're companionship. They're a massive barrier against loneliness. They prevent it in everything they do. And again, they don't do much, but they just sort of wander around and you talk to them and uh, you'll have little conversations with them. But just that thing of having a presence, a, a living, breathing presence in the house. You might be living in your own, you might be in a family, but still you can feel loneliness, especially this year because of everything that's mm. happening. We all feel disconnected from the rest of the human race. And even for those of us who are miserable buggers like me, we all need connection with other people, getting together now and again. And so if you don't have that, you know, Zoom calls don't do it. Um, listening to podcasts, even ones as good as this, they don't quite do it. So it's all about just feeling that companionship. And that's what I'd say to the alien, who's probably buggered off by this point. The alien, all right, all right, mate, yeah. with your sermon, your human sermon about stuff. Um, I, I would say that's what animals and that's what dogs certainly give you, just just companionship. Now, what happened when you and Oliver Mabel became the toast of Twitter is laid out in quite a lot of detail in your book. Mm. And it's really interesting because although I've read a lot of stuff about people caught in negative Twitter storms, mm. I've never really seen what happened from the positive side. Yeah. And I was really interested to learn that even though you're really savvy about the media and Twitter and mental health, it was still quite a stressful experience yeah. for you. And it's and I and I say that with full awareness that you know it's very much a it's not even a first world problem. You know, being at the centre yeah. of a positive virus beyond first world, it's first world into a strange sort of I don't know added on bit of first world problem of being at the centre of a positive viral video, but. There's always was something that is is enormous, and it was enormous. I mean, the first two videos in particular just went ballistic, and you know and that's before we got to Mabel standing in a pond or doing the Zoom video, which you know were hugely popular as well. They all just brought such a reaction, and then when you see that reaction coming in, and, and again, I had an email address on my Twitter account. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're on a Zoom call. I should explain for the listeners. We're on a Zoom call. And we're in vision, and I can just see. A cat's backside going across <laughs> in front of you as an important critique of what I'm saying at the moment. Is that Joan? 
It is Joan. Joan, Joan the perpetual interrupter. Joan. Oh, she's gone. Joan's gone. See, they were, Joan just, uh, she had a very cat moment there of other people are doing things that I don't want to approve of. So I'm just going to <laughs> stroll across there and put them off. So, yeah, so it, you get this reaction again. I had an email address on my Twitter account, which was probably a you know, mistake. But then again, I didn't know something was going to go viral. So I got emails coming in, messages coming in on Twitter. I mean, and when I say it's the th- thousands, it, that's not exaggerating. It was they were coming in in the thousands. And again, they're all they were all positive for a start, which is strange on Twitter. But but quite often they're they're asking for stuff just to do. A, could you do a commentary on on this for me, mm-hmm. or would you like to be associated with this brand? Could you do this ad? Could you do? It? And people say, well, what's the problem with that? And but the problem is that when someone says something nice to you, and I've said that I don't know how to deal with it, but I would always want to respond to that person mm. saying something nice. so And you can't, you just haven't got the time to do it. So you pick a few and you respond to them and then you put out a blanket tweet saying, listen, thank you for all the messages. But then also people are sending you stories about their situations that they're in at the time. And and they're saying, look, this made me laugh. I'm just having a, a you know, crap time. And you, and, and you saw all the people who are really sad at the moment and stressed at the moment. And it's, it's just so enormous that it seems to be, and it's coming into your inbox and, and you realize just, how um how stressed and rather down so many people are at the moment for for various and fairly obvious reasons and and then at the same time you know you want to be able to to help them but you can't so even though they're saying nice things as well about the video that's the the good part of it but then you feel bad because you're taking on a bit of the emotions that they feel as well um you know, it's just it's a, I would I would say that that's just a hopefully a normal reaction from anybody who is you know reasonably empathetic. If you see somebody sad and they're telling you mm. that they're sad and that they've had a relative who's who's ill or has died, or or could you do this message for my daughter or mother, whoever it is who's struggling, and then of course you try and do them, but and but all the time you're taking on a little bit of of those problems and issues as well. So again, absolutely beyond first world problem. And I'm not moaning at all because the whole thing has been fascinating and and also enjoyable at times, but it's certainly reasonably hard to deal with. And to your point there, I can't imagine what it must be like to be at the center of a, a negative viral video thing, which would just be beyond awful. That's what my next question is. Has it altered your perception of fame and fandom, yeah. particularly in sport, yeah. when it can be so extremely toxic? Very much so. And I'm not, and I've not, not before this, I wasn't famous, but, I, you know, I had some sort of recognition. But then you look at really famous people, and I've, and I've obviously dealt with quite a few of them and in interviewing them or, or doing mm. events with them. So being with them, and then you see sometimes you would have seen them, you know, just say, we just have to keep walking to avoid the, this group of autograph hunters. And you kind of go, oh, come on, sign the thing. But then you realise that, if you're at a certain level, and I'm not talking about me with the dogs, but if you're at a certain level of fame in real life, it must be so claustrophobic and you yeah. just can't escape from it. And I was going to say that, you know, some of them might have brought it upon themselves. And I know, but, but they haven't. They, they, most of them are people who've just achieved something through mm. a talent and the uh, the fame is, 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 you know, ancillary product and you don't necessarily want it. I look at people who want to be famous. They want to be famous for just for being famous. They think that must be the greatest thing in the world. Can't, can't imagine that. Well, when I was young, um, we were, um, I don't know if you remember, Isla St. Clair, who was um, yeah, I do. Yeah, Larry Grayson's um, sidekick on the Generation Game. And she did many other television programs and and she, there was a time in the late 70s, so we used to, we knew her very well. And, you know, I, we, we, I 
taken for a walk with her in the late 70s. And it was just incredible. You'd see all these people just descending on her, looking at her, pointing. And and I couldn't understand because I was very, very young at the time, you know, and she was always smiling, etc. But then she would say, and I spoke to her recently about it as well. And she said, look, you've just honestly, you've got to try and shut it all out because it's very, very yeah. difficult to cope with. And can you imagine that kind of fame, which was huge when the Generation Game was getting 20 million people. Imagine that in social media times as well, because then uh, it never shuts off mm. unless you decide yourself, deactivate Twitter, never look at social media. I went to the Hay Festival mm. with Sarah Millican mm. about three or four years ago. And I've been, I've been out in public with her, but I think what was exacerbated is that people knew that she was on. Yeah. And uh, because we were at the Hay Festival and we had to walk from the green room to the entrance of the stage, which was probably about 300 yards. Yeah. And by the end of it, I was fucked off with the amount of people <laughs> that stopped and talked yeah. to us. And it was nothing to do with me. <laughs> it was just like, I don't know how, how people cope with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, it's all goodwill. Of course it is. It's, and, 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 it's exhausting and for goodwill. each person that comes forward, it is their one moment with that with mm. that famous person. So you totally understand it. It's not. And that's why, you know, you feel bad when you're not responding to messages on Twitter because that one person has contacted you. you they don't know that... 5,000 other people have contacted you as well. I mean, they might be able to see that kind of level of traffic coming across. So you kind of feel bad about it. I mean, I've been at Wimbledon. You're trying to get through a crowd with John McEnroe and he would just pull the baseball cap down and just just, just go. <laughs> just because <laughs> if you stop for one, that's it. You're, you're, you're never going to move again. So, yeah, it's uh, the, the whole thing has been a massive eye-opener. Because as a, as a commentator, as a sports commentator, you're quite anonymous. You're a voice over some sporting events. People don't yeah. know what you look like. And so you just get on with your job and you might be doing big events, but you're not recognisable as, as the person that, of that big event. So you're, you're known, but you're certainly not famous. So it's, um, mm. the, yeah, this, this thing has been, has been very, very... I mean, to be honest, Olive and Mabel get recognised all the time out on walks now <laughs> genuinely it's 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 so odd it's just you know and you can see people doing double takes is that all of them mabel and, and sometimes i'll be calling one of them to get them out of various unpleasant things that they're doing and and then the people walking by will realize that's all that's, yeah. that's mabel and they'll come running over and they're they're, kind of, they're wanting photos with them, so but they take it quite well. The, the Olive and Mabel, so they're they're fairly oh, level. Well, Mabel likes a stroke, doesn't she? She, I mean, she really does. She's just she she would she would stop for the crowd at Wimbledon. She would just stop there <laughs> and she, she would put a sign up saying, "I'm here. Come and see me now." <laughs> with the world of sport i am interested to know how you feel the absence of sport has contributed to this pretty febrile atmosphere yeah. we're all living under because sport sport's absolutely not my yeah. area of expertise so feel free to correct me but i grew up just outside of milton Keynes, and i always had the theory that the reason there was always trouble in the town center on a saturday night was the absence of a football club yeah they have a football club now but they didn't yeah win when I was younger and that maybe you know if if people men especially you yeah, know, yeah. had a chance to chant and shout and be part of a community that they wouldn't necessarily get involved in a fight in a taxi rank at 2am well I think there's I think there's certainly an element of truth in that I mean I think certain people would just you know be looking for that trouble no matter if there's football on or not but um it is certainly an outlet of not frustration just just an outlet just a chance to let off steam on a Saturday you know it's 
I mean, it's the, it's the sort of old cliche of people working Monday to Friday, then Saturday, it's just a release and it's a time to forget jobs that might be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a drudge and, and things that they don't enjoy. And they might, people might not be enjoying their, their home life. Domestic situations may be difficult for whatever reason. And then you escape into sport for however long it might be. And for the vast majority of the population, that's football. For others, it might be, might be rugby. It might be, you know, playing cricket or golf or whatever it might be. So sports sometimes, sometimes gets looked down upon as a sort of lower art form, but it's the mm. same. It's 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 much the same as escaping into a good play or a great film or a good book. Mm. It's it's the same thing. It's just at different levels, perhaps of of I don't know a different. I don't even want to separate it by. You certainly don't want to separate it by by class or whatever it might be. Everybody needs an escape into something. And so whatever art form it is, uh, football and sport is certainly part of that. And that's why everyone is so determined now, certainly at a governmental level and all the sports governing bodies, to make sport happen. And some people will be, will, will be saying, why are we working so hard to, to make football happen? Because if we didn't have things like, like football, most importantly of all, if we didn't have that, Lockdown, second leg lockdown, going into winter would be so very, very difficult mm. um, because we need these, you know, divertissement, these these escapes. That's what we. That's what and everything. And that's hope. what. And a bit of hope, exactly. It's a, a bit of a hope that you win, even if it's just for the well, exactly. Afternoon. And that's yeah. yeah, because you do have that. That's sport brings you sort of joy and hope and expectation, perhaps deflation at the end of it, but it gives you. Um, Something it gives you some sort of adrenaline, some sort of I say I don't know what the hit is, the dopamine hit or whatever it might be. I don't know, but it's it gives you something. And you know, I, I I'm well aware that that sport is not the be all and end all, and some people aren't interested in it at all. But for a huge amount of people, they are. Whether it's watching it or playing it, and physical activity, I think is even more important. Um, yeah. But so so I hope that it continues. I would say that the way it's going on at the moment, sport is rather rather soulless and rather empty but it's happening at least as a sort of televisual or radio product for people to enjoy but without spectators it's it's half the thing it, it used to be but it's still something until we get to the other side of this and then it can all come back with, uh, with all guns blazing it's interesting as well isn't it because it's kind of a, a, an experiment that wouldn't have happened otherwise in the what role the crowd does play in sport. Oh, it's interactive. At, it's a- yeah, if we look at like Super Saturday in 2012, mm. when Greg Rutherford yeah. did one really long jump, yeah. and it was when the crowd was going yeah, mental yeah, yeah, for yeah. Jessica Ennis. Yeah. So it kind of, it, it, well, yeah, becomes interactive. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't jump that well. He's, he was, he's retired now, but he was, a, you know, a very regular, you know, jumper of good distances. But he wouldn't have... I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't have won that gold medal if it hadn't mm. been in London because you Great. feed off the crowd. You absolutely, yeah. it's a sort of symbiotic relationship, you know, in the crowds. You give them something and they give you something in return in, in the show that they put on. So it, it really is interactive. And when, you know, I've done a couple of commentaries since, I mean, I've done <laughs> four days work since the beginning of March, but on those days it's been at empty stadiums or it's been commentating off tube off a monitor in uh, in Salford or wherever it might be and it really is an empty empty experience compared to normal normal sports commentary but again it'll come back and we'll appreciate it even more when it does well fingers crossed mm. now i realize counterfactuals aren't particularly useful for anyone but i am interested in one thing mm. so i was one of the 70,000 people who took part in the covid social study right 
And later, which was, it looked at the nation's mental health in lockdown. And later, when I interviewed one of the specialists involved, involved, I said to her, do people like me, people who go, yeah, mustn't grumble, just get on with Mm. it. Do we skew figures because we say, yeah, I'm all right. And she pointed out to me that that was, in fact, just a coping mechanism, the same as everyone else. So I'd like to know, is there an alternative history where Andrew Cotter spends lockdown in his pants watching Netflix? Or are you just a man that needed to do something? I kind of do both those things. Um, No, I don't. uh, Oh, it's not Netflix. Um, No, it's... um, you know, it's very interesting what you say there because my, my the, the, and I, I would love to know the number of people. Actually, I don't think I would love to know the number of people because it would be shocking and rather dispiriting. But the amount of people who are doing as you are doing and I'm doing and saying, yep, fine, I'm fine. And, uh, you know, mustn't, mustn't grumble because relatively speaking, we mustn't grumble. But yeah. that doesn't mean that sadness and real melancholy and stress is quite close to the surface quite a lot of the time. I mean, I find myself, uh, and we all do, you know, some days you feel okay and then um, and then you very much don't and it comes to the surface. And again, that is said absolutely with the awareness of my situation being incredibly fortunate compared to lots of people. But as so many people will know, that. That doesn't. That's not a factor when it comes to mental health at all. It's not. It's that, yeah. no, and it's not. It's not in comparison better to, than it was for you six months ago. So it's still worse, to, or certainly in my case, no. it was worse to some degree. And also, you know, it's not just one's own situation. Again, you look at everybody and you get so sad about it all, and you get so sad mm. about the situation in the world at large. And all you can do is hope with a little Labrador shake of the head and wag of the tail to, to be, you know, a little bit happier and think that things will be good in the future. And, and again, I don't want to bring uh, something as serious as mental health down to something as, as trite as, as, as uh, you know, trivial as dogs, but they're not trivial because they really are so important to people in, in coping with uh, mental health issues. It's just that, that I mean, I would like, you know, I try and give the impression that, um, you know, that, hey, we're, you know, we're all going to get through this. And I, and I do think that we are going to get through this and things will be fine. That's the way that human species, I was going to say evolves. It's, it seems like we're devolving at the moment. But the way the yeah. human species moves is it is one of progress, but it's through peaks and troughs. And we're certainly in a trough at the moment for whatever reason, but it will be brighter and better on the other side. And so through this trough, you just have to try and take some enjoyment from whatever it might be. And that's why I enjoyed, not just for my own mental sanity, you know, Mm. doing the dog videos, but I really did enjoy messages coming in saying, look, for 60 seconds, for 90 seconds, I laughed at or with your dogs in this video. And it meant a great deal. And, you know, that uh, that's when I found myself most emotional, to be honest, seeing those messages coming in, because I have been or painted myself as quite a cynical, cold person in the past. But I've been absolutely moved by the reaction to them, because these silly dogs and the strange silly videos that I've made have made in a small, small way a bit of a difference. Absolutely. I was listening to a podcast the other day, a podcast that's made in America, and one of the presenters described something as being the best thing that happened in lockdown. And then she said, no, wait a minute, I'm wrong. 
The best thing that happened in lockdown was that Scottish guy. She didn't know what your name was, which was brilliant. That Scottish guy who made the Olive and Maple videos. Yeah. So they are they are everywhere. Yeah. Which is incredible. Well, yeah. I mean, it has been incredible the reaction seeing, especially across the Atlantic. I mean, they do love their dogs in in America. They get some things wrong, but they do love their they do love their dogs and Canada as well. I mean, that might be a Ryan Reynolds thing. I'm not sure, but just say, <laughs> I, I think the universal language of dogs. You know, you can people people just appreciate the silliness of dogs because they are yeah. pretty silly creatures but uh, you know we've all needed a bit of that a lot of my friends have dogs a lot of my family have dogs but I haven't seen anybody and the other day I was on a Skype call with a friend of mine and I said please put him on the call, the call and he was like he won't see you and I said no but I'll see him yeah see his stupid little face <laughs> yeah, exactly. before he gets bored and runs away and does something else that's it and then we can say that about dogs his stupid little face and yeah. we mean it again oh, he... with such affection he is a hooligan, that dog. Yeah. If he was a person, I wouldn't like him. No. But yeah, this is so easy to yeah, but, give but, when he's got a lovely face. But also, you say some dogs are like, say, hooligans and a bit, a bit, a bit mad. But they're not bad because they don't know no. good or bad. They don't know. They operate in totally a totally amoral sphere. It's just what they want. I want yeah. this, so I'm going to uh, complain until I get it. Or I want this, so I'm just going to take it. But there's nothing done behind the back. There's no, you know, as I say, this Machiavellian manoeuvring or whatever we see in the human world. It's just about, I, I look, I'm fairly upfront about this. I'm going to be honest. I want that, and I want you to give it to me. So hooligans they may be, but they, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty honest about it all. There's a fact in your book that I keep coming back to. Well, and probably made up, so let's find out. <laughs> well, and that's the fact that 47 is a pivotal age for many people. Yeah. Um, it's the age at which our lives, lives start to shrink or expand or go in different directions. Oh, altogether. God, but we're, we're cheating everyone up now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. You are 47. Um, I am 47 in a few weeks' time. Yeah. And although my life has actually shrunk quite a lot this year, you've given me hope <clears> that can also expand. So it might be a bit too soon for you to tell, but do you know what the next couple of months is going to hold? Please write another book. Well, the next couple of months, uh, and the next, there's actually sport coming back, and I'm going to be doing uh, hopefully a lot of uh, rugby commentary. But again, I don't know. We don't know what's we don't know what's going to happen with the the situation, whether it tightens up. I think they're going to do everything they can to keep sport going. So there might be some sports commentary. The most interesting thing, which I I don't know if it'll happen or not. And again, this is where I'm wary of a Twitter backlash. But everything is being done absolutely properly about it is that all of Mabel and me are going to be appearing at the London Palladium, as you do, on the 24th of November. Now, there's a couple oh, that's of... that's my birthday! Is it? Well, that's what yeah. we're doing it for, because we're coming along <laughs> for Hannah's birthday. Um, no, it's, you know, in this one, we haven't been able to do touring or anything like that suddenly this company said would you we did we did an appearance at the Cheltenham Literary Festival and they had a hundred people in this lovely theatre um the Everyman Theatre in uh, in Cheltenham and it went down quite well and then they said well could we do this on a sort of slightly bigger scale because the Palladium is doing stuff I mean that certain theatres are doing things under very mm. tight controls so I don't know how many it seats the Palladium 3,000 or whatever and they'll, they'll allow 700 in so there's enough space between everybody and then it's, it's very staggered so people don't come in in one they come in in, in yeah. bits and pieces. But again, it's, you know, people will be looking and going, oh, God, really, under all this, all this is going on and you're doing a stage show. I mean, all I can take is the assurances from people that it will be properly done. And I all I do is is exist at home. So I'll just go from home, drive down in a car, yeah. go to the Palladium and back. But you have to be so aware of, of being very, very careful about everything at the moment and also what it looks like. But if it does go ahead, the idea that we would be on the stage at the London Palladium I mean, it's it's bizarre and ridiculous. It's oh, it's, it, it, 
yeah, I can't, I can't lie. I'm very excited about it. Um, just to be on stage at the London Palladium. I mean, I think that is where. I mean, what dogs have appeared at the London Palladium? Spit the dog and Bob Carroll's. Yeah, um, one of the dogs in. Um, is that where they have the Britain's Got Talent editions? I think it might be. So maybe some of the dancing dogs on that. Anyway, it's, yeah. we're following well, a long get... a long line of great dogs <laughs> to appear on the stage. It's interesting about ventriloquism because it's actually kind of similar to what you do, as in you do all the work and they just sit there and look yeah, brilliant. Give them a voice. Give them a voice that we think there's... You, yeah. you know, so you look at Olive and Mabel and they may be... I don't know what they're thinking. They're, they're thinking basic want thoughts. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, projecting our own thoughts onto them is is that anthropomorphic sort of idea that's made a you know a huge career for lots of people from disney to whoever it might be you know it's uh it's giving animals human traits that probably don't exist or certainly don't exist but we like to welcome them into the human world and that's why i enjoyed doing the the zoom meeting or the online dating or whatever it might be yeah putting putting olive and mabel in those situations it's just it's just fun it is. I, I have one more question, hmm. and it's back to Oliver Mabel, the real stars of the show, obviously. I was wondering, you're talking about going back to work, and I've got a lot of friends with dogs who are pretty worried about what's going to happen when they go back to mm. work. Because, <clears throat> I mean, it's been brilliant for dogs. They've had people around them all the time. Mm. Have you got any tips on no. how <laughs> maybe to leave dogs? I think you just have to gradually build up the amount of time you leave the house for. So that it's not suddenly you've been home all the time and then you go away for, you know, a day and come back. Because at the moment, if I go away for, you know, 30 seconds and come back, all of, I mean, all of is the one you can see the difference in. Because Mabel's always been clingy and desperate and, yeah. and just happy to see me after two seconds. But Olive is definitely uh, behaving differently. Not massively, but but just it's 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 clear to see that she is much happier when I'm around than when I'm uh, when I'm not so um yeah you just have to kind of stagger it but I think we're all being institutionalized I'm slightly worried about how we're all going to get back out there mm. as well because yeah we've become so um just used to this way of operating of being in our own little cocoon but going out into the world can you imagine hugging somebody on a bus I mean, I used to do that regularly. <laughs> so, you know, just grab people and hug them on a bus before authorities came along. I, but, but, it's, but, but can you? So many of the things that we used to do that seem so normal, but being in a pub or a restaurant, on a, you know, on a, on a sort of steamy, wet winter's night, and you all come in, can you, it just seems it's going to be very yeah. difficult for a lot of people. And I was mildly germophobic before all this, but I think I'll be okay. But I mean, I think some people are going to be really struggling with getting back out there and coping with yeah. being back out there. Absolutely. I found the other day I had to drive somewhere and it's the first time I'd driven for more than about an hour and a half mm. in nine months. And it was, it seemed exhausting. And yet I was a person who would drive to Wales to interview someone and then drive back again. Yeah. And, and the idea of being in where, But in where, where do you live? If you live in Shrewsbury, oh, that's live... not, that's not... <laughs> I live in Cambridge, so it's a pretty. I went that's a all the way from run. from Chepstow to no, yeah. I went from yeah. Bristol. Anyway, yes, yeah. but it's it, that, that I remember getting out in my car for the first time after proper lockdown, going out, and it felt weird. There's no doubt mm. about it. It just felt 
I don't know. I've never, it must be, <laughs> I've never traveled so far in my life. I've, I've gone 60 yeah. miles up motorway, but it's, uh, I think it's going to be mentally quite difficult for a lot of people. And it will be a little bit like dogs. You try and stagger mm. it back into, you know, it's not yeah. full on get out there now. Everything's great. We've got a vaccine. People are going to have to just sort of uh, do it by, by steps, getting back into mm. what we used to call normal life. Thank you so much for this, Andrew. Olive, Mabel and me, all good bookshops. And I've heard an audio book is possibly coming. It is. It is on the way. It'll be out at the end of November. I'm recording it at the moment in uh, in this very room. So um, it's, yeah, it's coming soon. Thanks again, Andrew. This has been brilliant. Sorry, do you want me to say thank you there as well? for the Yes, that yeah, Sorry, <laughs> exactly. I'll just ignore you. Sorry, I thought, it was just, <laughs> I thought you were going to get a jingle or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, go on. Standard issue for all women.